Welcome to the November 21st sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31, and the sermon is entitled, The Belief That Changes Eternity, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John. We are going to finish chapter 20 today. That leaves one more chapter, chapter 21, and you're going to have to wait in anticipation on chapter 21 because when I conclude with chapter 20 today we're going to go into Christmas and celebrate the Christmas season together Advent and Christmas together and so as soon as Christmas is done I'll come back and we'll complete the Gospel of John I did not want to break apart chapter 21 it has a flow it's three sermons I want to do those three sermons back to back and so we will wait on those until Christmas is done and we get back into maybe January but we'll see how the flow goes but as we take this step further in the Gospel of John closing chapter 20 today chapter 20 is the chapter of the resurrection the life the climax of Jesus Christ and his salvation for us as I said to you last week if we simply had a Savior who died on a cross according to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians we would still have no hope it is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we have the hope of eternal life the firstborn of the living and we live too as we believe as we put our faith and our trust in him as Savior let me give you a little personal testimony as I'm winding up chapter 20 I want you to know I love preaching on the mile posts of the Bible I love preaching on the resurrection I love preaching in Christmas and at Easter but here's my danger zone maybe a danger zone for every preacher and that is as you preach those passages year by year sometimes you study and you construct sermons but sometimes you work on it so much and so hard that the sheer wonder and the awe of the word wears down and we have to be very careful to give God the glory for every word of his holy word and that the all of it never wears down or wears out but we should be mesmerized by the very word of God as we meet all of us love the Bible but sometimes we need to be brought back to our knees of how incredibly awesome God's word is how awesome God's love is so we come this morning in the all of being able to study God's Word. We're going to open to chapter 20 of the Gospel of John, and we're going to go through verses 19 through 31. And I'm going to read it in sections today, so keep your Bible open section by section. As we open the Word, I want you to be reminded that this is still the first day of the week. It is Resurrection Day. It is Sunday. The day is getting late. Early that morning on resurrection morning Peter and John go to the tomb early and they inspect inside the tomb and they realize that Jesus is not there it was not an act of thievery it was too neat a scene to have been a theft of the body of Jesus Christ the clothing looked like Jesus simply rose through it and then the clothing settled back down the napkin laid by itself to the side very neatly folded which covered Jesus face And then a little later, as Mary Magdalene stays on the scene after Peter and John go home, she actually speaks to the risen Lord Jesus Christ, and she breaks into the disciples' meeting, and she announces, I have seen the Lord. I saw him not as a corpse. I saw him not as a dead body. I saw him as the living, resurrected Lord. 
again, the awe, the sheer wonder of God's Word that we have a resurrected Lord. And then according to Luke chapter 24, later on that resurrection Sunday, two men walking to Emmaus literally walked and talked with Jesus. Unknowingly at first, they finally realized as their hearts burned within them that indeed this was Jesus the Christ. And they came back to Jerusalem, and they came back and they found the disciples, and they announced, the Lord is risen. So this day was filled with information coming to the disciples that life was different, that Jesus Christ indeed was risen from the dead. Reports coming to the disciples. So let's pick up Scripture there. As we begin this morning, look at John chapter 20, begin with verse 19, and hear these words. Then the same day at evening, that's Sunday, resurrection day, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. Whosoever sins ye remit or forgive, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Stop the reading of the word there, but keep your Bible open. We will continue on. Even though the disciples had heard about the resurrection of Jesus late On that Sunday evening, they were all gathered together, and yet the door was closed. The door of their room was locked because they were still fearful that someone, even of the Jewish nation, could break in and take their lives just as they took the Savior's life. They were not gathering in boldness. They were not gathering in courage. They were still gathered, huddled together in fear because the Master had died on a cross. And yet Jesus came and stood in the midst of the room with them. And I want to concentrate on this. Let me just step aside for a moment, because I want you to realize that the day this happens is Sunday. The Sabbath day of rest, which is Saturday in the Old Testament, was over. And I want to use that as a springboard to say to you that we gather to worship on Sunday. We gather to give praise to God on Sunday. Now, some decree of the church centuries ago or some decree of the government did not establish our worship day. That's not the reason we meet on Sunday. God himself changed the day from Saturday Sabbath to Sunday worship, from Saturday rest to Sunday praise. For centuries, Saturday Sabbath was associated with the law of God. But when Jesus Christ rose from the grave, we moved from the law of rest to the grace of salvation. We worship on resurrection day, the day we were promised eternal life. We open a new week with worship, and now we walk from here having given the Lord a tithe of our first day of the week. We've given him the tithe of worship. Now we walk into the world to give the rest of the week to the ministry of Jesus Christ. 
So we begin the week with worship, and we're going to work the rest of the week in ministry. I think that's important for us to know. Remember this, Sabbath rest was never given to the Gentiles in Scripture. It was never indicated for the church. Sabbath was only given to the nation of Israel as the law of God. But Jesus fulfilled the law of God by the grace of forgiveness. So 2,000 years later, we worship on Resurrection Day, and we worship praising the Lord who is risen from the dead. So here we are now, Resurrection Day. John chapter 20, on this Resurrection Sunday evening, the disciples are still in fear. And yet Jesus comes to them, and he comes to them in the form of his resurrected body, his resurrection body. Now, certainly we don't understand everything we need to know about the resurrection body. God has given us enough in this particular time in our human existence that we know there is a resurrection body. We have some evidence of the resurrection body, but we don't know everything about it yet. But Scripture identifies that the resurrection body is indeed a physical body. The resurrection body is not some spirit that floats around in another region somewhere. It is a literal body that you and I will have just as Jesus had. In Luke chapter 24, Jesus ate fish in his resurrected state. In John chapter 21, he built a fire for that breakfast, making coals over which he would cook the fish for his disciples. And yet, in his resurrected body, he could enter a room not having opened a door. So we don't completely understand all there is to know about the resurrection body but we have evidence of what it's going to be like one day we're going to have that same perfect body praise God we're going to have that perfect body with no process of aging or disease or aches or pain it's all going to be gone forever we are so thankful to know that that is our inheritance as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as Jesus comes to his disciples here, he immediately reaches out to calm their fear. They are fearful in this moment. I want you to notice here, it's very important you notice, he doesn't scold them. He doesn't reprimand them. He doesn't make them feel small that they're scared. But rather, he reaches out to them to allay and lay to rest their fears. He begins with a healing word, a common greeting of the day. Peace be unto you. Really, in Hebrew, that is encapsulated in one word. Shalom, peace be unto you. Jerusalem is the city of peace. Jeru, city, shalom. Jeru, shalom, the city of peace. Peace I give to you. And he reassures them that he himself is standing with them. He shows them the nail prints in his hands. He shows them his side and the scar that's left by the spear. And in John chapter 20, verse 20, the text says that the disciples in Greek were overjoyed. They were Cairo, overjoyed. So amazed and relieved and glad to see him in this resurrected form. Their Savior, their Master was living indeed. I want you to look at verse 21 of chapter 20. Then said Jesus unto them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. So Jesus repeats this 
assurance of peace to his disciples. And then he also repeats a commission that he has already given to them. I want you to just take a step back in Scripture with me. Do you remember outside of Gethsemane, the night before the cross? So this is late in the evening on Thursday night. Jesus takes his disciples to Gethsemane, and he prays with his men. And in his prayer, in John chapter 17, verse 18, he says this. In his prayer with these disciples, he says this. John 17, 18. Even as thou hast sent me into the world, praying to his Father, he says, even so have I also sent them into the world. So he says, Father, you're sending me into the world, and I, in turn, am sending my disciples into the world as ministers, as missionaries, as representatives of the love and the salvation and the grace of God. I'm sending them into the world. On on Resurrection Sunday here, he repeats that. I'm sending you men out as my witnesses in a desperate, dying, lost world. I want you to represent me there. Now, I want you to look at two very interesting verses here. John 20, look at verses 22 and 23. Jesus says to them, And when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, or forgive, Many versions have forgive. They are forgiven or remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. All right, first of all, breath. Notice in verse 22, the breath, the breathing on them in this New Testament age, it symbolizes in this day the human spirit. Let me ask you this. Why do you say God bless you when somebody sneezes? That's kind of an automatic response. How many of you do that? Most of us do that. I sneeze in my office. Melinda says, God bless you, from another part of the room. So why do we say God bless you? Well, there was an ancient belief that a sneeze expelled our spirit from the body. So you say God bless you so the spirit will return back into the body before it leaves town. So that's the reason you say God bless you. You're blessing the spirit that has been expelled out of the body in some way. Of course, we know that it's just uh, part of our culture. Gesundheit just means get well soon. (laughs) But I think it's interesting that we still say God bless you. Seriously, here in Scripture, though, Jesus breathes on his disciples with the breath of spiritual life. And I believe that this is a breath of foreshadowing. It's a breath of promise that he gives to his disciples that the Holy Spirit is going to come on them on a future day. He says, I'm giving you the Spirit, but it's going to be bestowed on you, and it's going to live in you on a future day. We see that future day at the birthday of the church in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured upon the church and upon the disciples of the living Lord Jesus Christ. And they would overcome fear as ministers of the Lord. Here they are. We see them on Resurrection Sunday. They're in fear. But you read the first chapters of Acts. These men had boldness. Peter had boldness when he preached that first sermon where so many, 3,000, were added to the church. It was a transformation of their life as they received the Spirit of the living God in their hearts. Also look at verse 23. On the surface, it seems to say, you men are going to be able to forgive sin or to withhold forgiveness. You'll be able to forgive sin or you'll be able to withhold forgiveness. That's not quite accurate. 
Uh, that's not exactly what the Greek says. Look at it. He says, whosoever sins ye forgive or remit, they are remitted. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. But in actuality, what the Greek says is much clearer. Jesus is saying, for the true believer with spiritual discernment, with spiritual judgment, we can proclaim by the grace of Jesus Christ that a person has been saved by him. Or we can proclaim by discernment and judgment that a person is still lost because they have not come to him or they have rejected him. Only Jesus has the power to forgive. Amen? Only Jesus has the authority to forgive sin, to pardon a life. No one else has ever had that authority, but we believers can speak with authority. For example, if a young person or adult comes to this altar this morning and says, I need Jesus as my Savior. I am a sinner. I receive his gift for me as he died on the cross to forgive my sin. I believe that he rose from the grave that I might have eternal life. When that person is standing at this altar and I'm standing beside them, I can say with discernment, this person has been saved, forgiven, given eternal life. It was not my action, but with my discernment, as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I can proclaim it's true. That's what Jesus is saying to his disciples here. As this passage ends, John the Gospel writer then refocuses the camera on one disciple. His name is Thomas. On Resurrection Sunday, when Jesus came to his disciples, there were ten disciples there. Of course, you know Judas Iscariot was gone. He was dead by this time. But for some unknown reason, we're never given the reason why, Thomas, out of the eleven, was not there. There were ten men. Thomas was not there. After meeting Jesus, all the other ten disciples caught up with Thomas, and they shared this awesome experience that they had seen the risen Lord. And Thomas gives his response to them. Look at verses 24 and 25. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, meaning twin, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Simple as that. Until I have physical, touchable proof, I will not believe believe. I want you to notice here, all these disciples have said we've seen the Lord. And the Greek construction of that sentence is saying they said it over and over repetitively again and again. We have seen the Lord. Every one of them is giving Thomas this witness that they had seen the living Lord. But Thomas's response was absolutely unbelieving. Until I have pragmatic, touchable proof of seeing him and touching the wounds, Scripture says that Thomas says, I will not believe. Actually, in Greek, it's more emphatic than that. What In Greek, what Thomas actually says is, I positively, absolutely will never believe until I touch him, until I put my finger in the scars of my hand in his side. I will not believe. Let's read on. Verses 26 through 29. And after eight days again... His disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then, he, then saith he to Thomas, 
Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. The disciples meet again eight days later. What day is that? Well, as you count the days in the way that they're counted in Scripture, you start with the day you're in. So, for example, with the crucifixion, we say that Jesus rose on the third day. Well, he was crucified on Friday, risen on Sunday. So you have to count Friday in that count to get three days. He died on Friday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Three days later, he rose from the dead. In the same way, the day of resurrection was Sunday. If you begin counting your eight days with that Sunday, eight days later, it's Sunday again. Sunday plus seven days brings you back to Sunday. So here they are on Resurrection Day a week later now, Sunday the next week. And all the disciples with Thomas are gathered, and they are still behind a locked door. Do you see that? They still haven't completely resolved their fear. Even though they know Jesus is alive, even though they have been glad to see him, although their hope is building and their trust is building, they're still behind a locked door. They're still having some fear on the edges. And just like the previous Sunday, Jesus comes to them without opening that locked door, and he speaks peace, shalom to them. And then all of Jesus' attention turns to Thomas, He's the one naysayer. He's the one pessimist of the group. And I want you to notice here, Thomas didn't have to repeat his words that he said to the disciples the week earlier. He didn't say, well, Jesus, I want you to know I'm not going to believe in you until I touch the scars. I'm not going to believe in you until I thrust my hand into the side, your side. He never said that. You notice that. He says it a week before, but he doesn't repeat it when Jesus is standing there with him in the room. And yet Jesus already knew his heart. Remember Psalm 139, verse 4. It says, not a word is on my tongue that thou don't knowest altogether, O Lord. Jesus knew his heart. Jesus knew his comment. Jesus knew how he felt. And he holds forth his hands. Perhaps he pulls aside his robe, covering the scar on his side, and he tells Thomas, touch me, Thomas. Touch me. Feel the scars. Here's your proof you need. I want you to have faith. I want you to believe. So touch me. And Scripture never indicates that Thomas moved a muscle. He did not reach out to touch Jesus or put his hand in his side. John chapter 20, verse 28 is crucial. The Bible specifically notes that Thomas never makes a physical move, but he just immediately, immediately says, My Lord and my God. I want you to understand that is the greatest acknowledgement of faith in the whole Bible. My Lord and my God. 
Look what Jesus says in verse 29. Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas, you've literally seen me. Your faith has been undergirded by your sight. You didn't have to touch me, but you had to see me. Blessed are all who are not able to see me, and yet they believe. They believe that these wounds are true and sufficient for forgiveness and salvation. Blessed is the man or woman or boy or girl who says, Lord Jesus, I haven't seen you with my physical eyes, but I believe you. I believe you were born of a virgin. I believe you lived a perfect life. I believe that you died as the Lamb of God on the old rugged cross. I believe that you literally rose from the grave. I've not seen it, but I believe it. And Jesus says, blessed are they who have not seen me and yet have believed me. Friends, who is that? That's us. That's us, ladies and gentlemen. If you're listening in another country, that's you. If you believe in the living Lord Jesus Christ, can we say together, I believe. Can we say it? I believe. We believe. Not having seen the wounds, we believe. But I promise you, by the very Word of God, we will see. There's an amazing scene in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6. In heaven, all of the saved are going to gather at the very throne room of God. And Scripture says that Jesus is going to appear as a lamb that has been slain. In fact, the only remnant, the only leftover of this old world will be the scars on Jesus' hands and feet. That's the only leftover of this sinful world is the scars of Jesus. Throughout all of eternity, you and I will be reminded that we are in heaven because of the scars of Jesus, our Savior, left by the old rugged cross. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah for every person who says today, I believe in the scars, Lord. I believe in the resurrection. I believe that you're the living Lord. And we're most blessed of God, Jesus says, when we believe, and yet we've not seen. And at the end of chapter 20, John provides the whole theme of his gospel. You should have this pretty well memorized by now. I've mentioned it so many times in these sermons through the gospel of John. It's his reason for writing the gospel. Look again, John 20, verses 30 and 31. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. Circle the words in your Bible, believe and believing. It's the crux of your Word of God in your life that you believe, that you are believing on a daily basis, on an ongoing basis, that you belong to Him, that you're a minister for Him, that you have an eternal uh, home with Him. You need to believe that. You need to live believing that He's got you in the palm of His hand. That's the central word of salvation. It is the word of forgiveness. It's the word of promise that we believe we're going to see our home in heaven one day. You cannot be saved without believing. It is a central word in your Bible. 
You cannot be saved without belief. Believe without seeing. Believe in sheer faith, the gift of Jesus Christ. Believe or trust. Believe on the third day he rose from that grave. And as I said last week, one of these days in heaven, I believe that God is going to roll back the tape and show us some of these scenes that we've believed all of our life. And one of these days we're going to see. We're going to see the empty tomb. And we're going to see our name written in the Lamb's book of life. We're going to see so much of what we believe right now. Our faith one day will become sight, but we live by trust. We live by belief. We live by, live by believing in this day and age. So here it is in the truth of God. Don't miss it. Every single person on earth who hears an invitation to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior will make the choice of belief or unbelief. There is no middle ground. There is no gray area. There's no straddling the fence. You will either believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior or you will refuse to believe Him. There's, there's nothing in the middle. That's all we have. You believe or you turn Him away. You don't believe. If you believe right here in Little Clifford, Virginia or somewhere outside of this community in the world, if you believe, if you are saved today, we need to be thankful. This is Thanksgiving. If there's anything to be thankful for, it, first of all, first and foremost, is that we have a Savior who loves us. A Savior who has given us life. A Savior who has promised us a home. And a Savior who has promised us a ministry in our own personal life with our own talents and gifts. We are to be a minister for Him. We believe that, and we're to go to exercise that gift of ministry in this world. Be thankful. Be thankful you have a Savior. Be thankful that that paves everything else about the rest of your life that you and I have a Savior. But if today you do not yet believe, if you're here in this sanctuary or you're listening on stream somewhere and you have yet to believe, to express your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a step that you must, absolutely must take. No one can take this step for you. Your spouse cannot decide for your salvation. Your children cannot decide for your salvation. There's no good friend in the world who can decide on your salvation. This is a personal, one-on-one -on -one decision with the Lord Jesus Christ, and you alone must, must make the decision to believe and accept Him and invite Him into your heart. No one in your life can make this decision for you, and no one can take your place, nor Will the Lord God force this decision on you? Someone wants to find the Lord God as a gentleman. He is not going to break down the door of your heart so you'll have faith. He's going to knock and wait and wait and wait for you to answer. So today, if you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, whoever you are, wherever you are, I promise you on the very Word of God, He's knocking on your heart right now. And he's asking you to open that door and say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for me, risen from the grave for me, that I might have life everlasting. I accept you as my Savior. I believe what you did for me. Can you open the door and simply say, my Lord and my God, I trust you. I believe you. My Lord and my God, five words that will change your eternity. 
beginning this moment. Come today. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't say, I'm going to wait to a better day. Don't say, I'm going to wait till I feel better about myself. I'm going to wait till I read the Bible through. I'm going to wait till I'm older. I'm going to wait for whatever reason. Today is the day. Now's the time. This is the moment. This is the second. Come to Jesus. You must come, and you must believe. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, as we gather in this place, Father, thank you for the believers who surround me here. As we corporately pray together, Lord, I pray that we will put our minds on that one person who has never expressed trust and belief in you. We pray for him or her. He or she might be in this sanctuary today. He or she might be somewhere in the state of Virginia, in the United States of America, or even in another country of the world. But whoever they are, wherever they are, Lord, I know this. You're knocking on the door of that heart. You can't break that door down. You won't do that. But you're knocking, waiting for that one to open the door and say, my Lord and my God, I need you as my Savior. If that is the need today, Father, I pray that he or she, this very minute, will come to receive you as Lord and Savior. No, we haven't seen you yet. It is a response of sheer faith. But I believe one day, Father, we will see it all. And we will see, first of all, our Savior face to face. I pray, Father, for that one who needs you, that this is the moment. For we who are believers, Father, I pray on this Thanksgiving week that we begin our week by thanking the one who is most important in our life, thanking you for what you've done for us and giving us life and home and family and church, the things of life and the graces that you give us, Lord. We thank you. We thank you as our Savior, our Lord, our God. If there's one here who needs a church home, if there's one here who needs a blessing, a touch, a healing from you, Lord, you're hearing them. May they come. We'll pray with them. Bless us in this very important moment as the saved say thank you. And as one lost would come and say, Lord, I open the door, my Lord and my God. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.